0: The rest of you, if you'd like, could open up to Proverbs 1. We're going to start there. It's right around the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to have you take one from the seat in front of you. Uh, if you're new with us, uh invite you to fill out a card just so we can get to know you and um, how we can serve you better, tell you about the church a little bit. Um, and if you're not so new with us, you could use that card to communicate with us, write a prayer request, uh, that sort of thing. As you're turning to Proverbs 1, I want to tell you a story about a guy true story. Um and this guy like so many people he he ran and rebelled from God from his youth on and uh and he was really seeking a life of adventure that was that was his big kind of lust in life was adventure and God grabbed him in his 20s and um, and led this guy Andrew on a lifetime of adventures uh you may have heard of him before he's simply referred to as brother Andrew he wrote a book called God's smuggler and they call him brother Andrew to protect his anonymity, to keep him safe, because he would be going into these various places. And I want to take you a little excerpt uh, just to hear some of the exploits that he went on. It says this. During the height of the Cold War, communist countries were keeping a tight control on their borders. But God had called Brother Andrew to help Christians behind that iron curtain by smuggling Bibles. When I pulled up to the checkpoint on the other side of the river, I said to myself, well, I'm in luck. Only a half dozen cars. This Romanian border crossing should go swiftly. But when it took four minutes to inspect the first car, I began to worry. Literally everything that family was carrying had to be taken out and spread on the ground. Every car in line was put through the same routine. The fourth inspection lasted well over an hour. They removed hubcaps, took his engine apart, and removed seats. Dear Lord, I said, as at last there was just one car ahead of me. What am I going to do? Any serious inspection will show up these Romanian Bibles right away. Lord, I went on, I know that no amount of cleverness on my part can get me through this border search. Dare I ask for a miracle? Let me take some of the Bibles out and leave them in the open where they will be seen. Then, Lord, I cannot possibly be depending on my own strategy, can I? I will be depending utterly on you. While the last car was going through its chilling inspection, I managed to take several Bibles from their hiding place and pile them on the seat next to me. It was my turn. I put the little VW in low gear, inched up to the officer standing at the left side of the road, handed him my papers, and started to get out. But his knee was against the door, holding it closed. He looked at my photograph and the passport, scribbled something down, shoved the papers back under my nose, and abruptly waved me on. Surely 30 seconds had not passed. I started the engine and inched forward. Was I supposed to pull over out of the way where the car could be taken apart? Was I? Surely I wasn't. I coasted forward. I put my, uh, my my foot poised above the brake. Nothing happened. I looked out the rear mirror. The guard was waving the next car to stop, indicating that the driver had to get out. On I drove a few more yards the guards was, was having the driver behind me open the hood of his car, and then I was too far away to doubt that indeed I had made it through that incredible checkpoint in the space of 30 seconds. My heart racing, not with the excitement of the crossing, but with the excitement of having caught such a spectacle, uh, such a spectacular glimpse of God at work. We're talking this morning about knowledge. And Brother Andrew's formal education ended in the sixth grade when the Nazis invaded his homeland in Holland. And yet here God used him, and none of us would doubt that Brother Andrew has a knowledge of God. If you're new with us this morning... Oh, there he is. That would have been good to have up this whole time. He's the guy in the middle. Um, he's an older guy now. This uh, happened, obviously, back in kind of World War II era. Um, this morning, as we're as we're going through... Uh, through this series, we're talking just about the church and what we're supposed to be doing as a church. What does it mean to be the church? Why are we gathered here on a Sunday morning? Uh, this is part two of last week, so uh, I'm not going to go back and review a whole bunch last week. If you missed it, uh, this is kind of the the sequel. You can go back and watch the prequel. That's very big these days to watch the end before the beginning. Uh, so you can you can be, be uh, feel free to 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 do that. Colossians 1.10. I read this last week. I, I, I do just want to call this to mind. This is Paul praying for some churches. And he says this, he prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And amongst other things, he prays that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And when we talk about knowledge and learning, it's clear that we're designed to be learners. Not just to know things, but to grow in what we know. It's it's designed into each one of us. Why else the mind and why else the hunger to learn? I know some of you are in the deep throes of school and sometimes school, you know, it feels like it has a tendency to like squeeze the desire to learn out of us at times. I can assure you your teachers aren't trying to make that happen. They're trying with all their might to to encourage that natural momentum that we all have toward learning things and wanting to learn more things. Proverbs uh, chapter 1 personifies wisdom and really, all through the all through the proverbs, a good exercise would be to take a highlighter sometime and just note every time wisdom or knowledge or understanding is brought up in the in the proverbs. It's all through there. You take it, these words, and they all kind of are tied together. And we certainly live in an area uh, of the country and the world where where this is um, is a premium: uh, information and data, and understanding, and knowledge, and wisdom. When we use those kinds of words, they all have some distinctions which we're not going to get into necessarily, but they're all related. People pay big money to have the right information, right? People pay big money to have the right information at the right time, as in ahead of the competitors, right? And so it's big business to have information and to move information. But information and understanding are different, and understanding and knowledge and wisdom are all different. Think about the idea that with wisdom and understanding, it's that our eyes are open to some new realities, some of you had your eyes open as we went through a World Vision campaign and we decided to sponsor some, some children in Ethiopia um, just to the realities, the daily realities of what some kids go through. And Glenn was here a few weeks ago talking about Zimbabwe. And just to have our eyes opened to some daily realities, that's gaining new understanding. It's opening our eyes to what's really going on. There's kind of a dual nature to this. Understanding and wisdom is both given by God. Think about spiritual understanding. No one in the flesh thinks that the cross, a brutal instrument of killing people, is a good thing. No one in the flesh understands that. We don't look at that and say, that's a good thing. I want to follow that guy. I want to be like that guy. None of us. So if you sing about the risen Jesus as a great thing, if you sing about the blood covering your sin as a really good thing, that's been gifted to you by God. There's not one of us in here who's more smart than the other that would go after and seek God. It's God who loves us while we were still sinners, and he pursues us. So he gives us understanding. We praise God for that. But the dual nature of it is this. God gifts us understanding, and we're to go after it. We're to pursue wisdom and knowledge. Look at Proverbs 1 if you're there right now. In Proverbs 1, it calls out to, uh, it's, it's again kind of personifying wisdom. Look at verse Uh, at at verse 29. Nope, take it back. Let's just start in verse 20. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? goes on in chapter 2, starting in verse 4, to say this. Talking about wisdom. If you seek it like like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see that part? That's our part. We're to seek after it. We're to pursue it. And then we're going to find God. And you say, well, I thought God gives it to you. Let's read on. Verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Because I'm not going to make this a uh, four-part series, I've already, uh, four-part, I've already taken this one message and kind of split it into two. Um, I want to I zero in on the idea of knowledge for a moment. And here's what I want to put out to you. Now that you're in Proverbs, I want you to turn near the back of your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's, where, that's where going to be our text this morning. And from this text, what I want to point out to you is this, as we talk about knowledge, because here's what I know. I know that some of you in here, when I said that you have a natural desire to learn and an inclination toward that, you're tracking with me. And you're like, yes, I do. I'm hungry for that. Others of you in this room would say, I don't know, not so much. Maybe at one point I did. I don't really know about right now. That doesn't sound super fun. Here's the reality. You do. It may not look like book smart. It may not look like studious uh, st- you know, studious academic library type stuff. But you have a hunger to learn. You have a hunger to go after things. It might be Facebook. It might be a hunger to learn what's just off the screen. I mean, if I scroll just a tiny bit more, there's more news. And I've got a hunger to know what that is. It might be channel surfing. It might be your hobby or your sport. It might be your craft that you're really, really into. But we all have this this kind of insatiable desire to keep learning things, keep knowing things. Here's here's the premise I want to throw out to you is this. Knowledge is a riverbed that life-giving water comes through. So what I want to put out to you is that knowledge in and of itself, to just accumulate knowledge, probably does more harm than good. And we'll get into that a little bit. But knowledge is the chosen path that God uses to bring to us understanding and wisdom. We are given this water, this life-giving water, and we are to dig out bigger riverbeds. That's what growing in knowledge is all about. Look at 2 Peter 2, and we'll start to to look at this, and I hope you'll see what I mean by what I just said. Think about Peter for a second. Remember, we always should be thinking about who's writing and kind of getting context. Okay, Uh, Remember, know-it-all Peter? I mean, Peter is the know-it-all, and he's also a guy that deeply knows his frailties. By this point, he's an older guy. He's already lived through the, the denials. He's already lived through being rebuked by, by Jesus as, as Satan, as, as an instrument of Satan saying something negative about the, the kingdom of God. So, so know-it-all Peter, the, the guy who, like some of us in this room, speaks up early and often. His mouth is often writing checks that the rest of his body can't cash, right? That's Peter. That's who we're talking about here. He's the guy who knew what to do. Let's build an altar, right? And it's like, shh, Peter, no. We talked last week about when the, the, the things that, that you knew and the things that are true don't line up, right? So many people make all kinds of decisions on things that they know are true, but they're not true, and they don't line up. And all of us have a, a track record of that. This is Peter. You're in good company if you know and, and what's true doesn't add up. In four verses, in the span of four verses that we're about to read, he's going to use the word knowledge four times. Listen for it. Uh, I guess I should turn there. That would be helpful. Um, Starting in verse 2, it says this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace come through Knowledge. Some of you have heard this before, that ignorance is bliss. Ever hear that before? Right? Here's the reality of it. Ignorance isn't bliss. Ignorance is a life that is graceless and has no peace to it. There are some who, as they've grown in knowledge, as they've they've become aware of some of the realities, the harsh realities of life, and of their own guilt, and of their own frustration at trying to, to mend that guilt, what do they do? They try to go back. And unlearn what they know. Try to try to fall back asleep, as it were, to the things that they've been awakened to. So, so frankly, our our bars are filled with people trying to drown their sorrows. Right? People are out using different kinds of substances to to erase that knowledge that they once had. People are running from relationship to relationship, trying trying to to, to numb the voices and, and quiet down things that they're aware of. So ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is a graceless existence with no peace. Look at verse 3. Knowledge provides life and godliness. Not just life like we're alive, but the fullness of, of living according to God's plan. Note that both of these have through as the preposition. So through knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come grace and peace. Through knowledge is life and godliness. So life-giving water flows to us through a riverbed. Do we care much about the riverbed? Somewhat, because it's how we get the water. But are we all about the riverbed and just, and just getting a, a bigger and bigger riverbed? No. The riverbed is a conduit for something else. It's kind of a, a, a means to an end. Here's the point of why I want to drive that home is this. That knowledge has little value by itself, but through it come great treasure. And if we don't get that, what ends up happening is we get stuck on the knowledge part. We'll talk about that more in a second. Look at verse 5. The virtue that is to be added to faith and goodness is what? Knowledge, right? Some of your translations say virtue. uh, Others say goodness. There's a progression here that Peter's writing to. First faith, then goodness, those both come before knowledge. Think about this, you could add, there's seven virtues here. Here's a big trap people get into. They build their virtues sky high, but they're not founded on faith. So you know what ends up happening? They end up just in a giant rubble heap. If you try to add goodness, if you try to add knowledge, if you try to add self-control, you could work at that your whole life, and it keeps crumbling down. And so you build it up again, and it crumbles down. What's the foundation of it all? It's faith. You build it on faith, and then you add goodness. I love that goodness is added even before knowledge. You ever been around a brand new baby Christian? I mean, someone who got saved like two days ago, they prayed a prayer, and they come to you. You know what's, you know what's true about a baby Christian? They don't know much. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to act in church. They don't know any of the Christian lingo. They don't know what they're supposed to say, what they're not supposed to say. And I love it. I love being around Christians who are, who are brand new and, 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 and baby. You know what they know, though? They know that all of a sudden they, they, they want to be good. They want to do good. They want to start growing in what this Jesus life is all about. And so you have people who are like, Jesus, I'll, I'll go back and pay back all the people that, that I've ripped off in the past. I've just talked to people and, and they're, you know, in the midst of cuss words because God hasn't healed them of cuss words yet. So they're just, you know, they're just dropping F-bombs and doing all kinds of stuff while they're just really fired up about Jesus. You know what I don't do? I don't lay into them about F-bombs quite yet. You know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there because we don't, you know, we don't want to, you know, we want to guard what comes out of our mouth. That's important. It really is. But you know what? Love the goodness that's just coming out of you. You just you just want to be like Jesus. That's the beginning early walk of, of Jesus forming himself in you. Cool to see that. So add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Knowledge is desirable, but alone knowledge is dangerous. Think about a puffer fish. Kind of like the, the the flesh of a puffer fish has this toxin, and it's kind of poisonous. That's how knowledge is. Knowledge we, we we looked at this last week. It puffs up, right? If it's just by itself, it just puffs someone up. And kind of like that toxin in the flesh of a of a of a pufferfish, there's this toxin in knowledge. It's just called pride. And pride resides in knowledge. It's something we must guard against. Think about the Greeks that Peter was writing into this culture. They were being saturated by Greek culture. What did the Greeks pride themselves on? Knowledge, right? And understanding, and learning, and philosophy. And we would look back right now and say, man, they made huge achievements. God opened giant doors to them, but it became a source of their downfall, didn't it? They were prideful in their knowledge. The temptation with knowledge is to show it off like a trophy. Hey, look at me, look what I know. Or to wield it like a weapon. You ever had someone wield knowledge against you like a weapon? Those who know Often want everyone else to know that they know. Do you follow that? Those who know, they want everyone else to know that they know. And so the temptation is to constantly be talking and be, be sharing and be, you know, a conversation's going this way, and you're like, man, how where's the off ramp? I need to get it over here to explain to people all that I know. The unspoken assumption that kind of sneaks into our lives is this, that to know more than others is to be better than they are. To know more than other people is to be better. I'll tell you what cures you of this. One of the things that has cured me of this and has exposed my own hypocrisy and my own guilt in this area is to go to a country where their their uh, you know their formal education is minimal, their access to the scriptures uh, as you know with their own Bible and computer programs and all that is is minimal or non-existent, and to be around some amazing people, not even just amazing Christians, but amazing Christian people, and to realize, wow, I came in with some air of superiority, and here they are uh, with no access to some of the things I have, and just because I'm in the know on certain things and they aren't doesn't make me better than them. In fact, I have so much to learn from other people, and that's a little insidious thing that can kind of sneak into us. So goodness, maybe, is the antidote. It renders knowledge beneficial rather than impressive. Think about uh, the great theologian Forrest Gump who said this. He actually captured part of 1 Corinthians 13 with this statement. I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. There's a lot of profound truth in that. And there's a lot of really smart people who don't know what love is. All right, let's move on. Look at verse 8. Let me reread verse 8. It says this. For if these qualities, if these seven virtues that Peter says, um, God's gifted you with with everything you need for life and godliness, phew, my job is done. False. He says, for this very reason, add to your faith goodness and knowledge and these other seven virtues. And then he says this in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that teach us? that it's possible to be ineffective and unproductive in what? In the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So stated positively, it would read like this, that not only do we get grace and peace through knowledge, not only is life and godliness given to us through knowledge, it is also the key to effectiveness and productivity. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy that we could have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and be rendered unproductive and ineffective. Some of your Christian stories might go like that, where you kind of knew about church. You knew a lot about the Lord. You could quote things. You could come in and sound like you know what you're talking about, but but there there was no real knowledge there. And so you were rendered ineffective and unproductive. Without starting off then in knowledge and persevering and growing in knowledge, we are left to guess. We are left, as it were, to, to strain out gnats about God and kind of grab these little tidbits that we might know about and argue endlessly back and forth about it. It's kind of a favorite pastime of, of religious people to, to, to do that. But with knowledge, and again, think of it as this riverbed. So maybe through knowledge, we have ever-increasing life-giving bounty. Now think about this. If, if your riverbed when you start off as a Christian, let's say that your riverbed is kind of a trickling stream. It's about this wide. It's about this deep. You're a thirsty person out in the wilderness, and this life-giving, clean water comes flowing to you. You begin to just drink it in. I mean, a Christian, a ba- brand new baby Christian can't get enough of this. You're just drinking it in. Wouldn't it, if, if it were instructed to you, hey, dig, dig out your riverbed, wouldn't you go and dig out your, your riverbed deeper if you were enjoying this trickle and you couldn't get enough, you were filling your Dixie cup, but you're like, man, I just, I just want more. That's the picture that I want to offer to you as what it means to grow in knowledge. Go and dig out your riverbed. Don't grow in knowledge so that you can a- accumulate more and more things. Don't grow in knowledge so you can wield it like a sword. Don't grow in knowledge so you can finally say something quasi-intelligent at small group this week. Don't do that. Grow in knowledge so that you can get this life-giving wisdom, this understanding that God has for you. This is to grow in knowledge. Now, this is where I would say enter the church. So the, the church plays a part in this. From a few weeks ago, Jesus is building his church, and Jesus gifts his church to make that happen. He gifts teachers in the church. It's specifically laid out that he gifts people with the spiritual gift of teaching so that knowledge can increase, so that life-giving wisdom and, and this godliness and life and grace and peace can come through it. Uh, not only does he gift the church with teachers, he also gifts the church with elders and shepherds. And one of the things that we pointed out with with, uh, the idea that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength is that is some of that classroom, is some of that learning, is some of that concepts and precepts? Absolutely. But don't we also need to know what does it look like? I need to see a person. I need it fleshed out in a family. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart? And where are the people who are doing that? What does it look like to really give all of your strength to the Lord? How does that look? Where are the models for that? And one of the things that the Bible has done is it has called churches to be elder-led, to have elders among you in all of the churches. And part of our um, effort, part of our work as church leaders here at NBC, especially as we've been growing and God's been increasing our reach and whatnot, is we've been working on a process uh, for a good season of time now, and we're thrilled today um, to be announcing to you uh, two brand new intern elders. Now, before they come up, let me just explain what that means. Um, we have three elders currently at NBC, and uh, and what we've what we've been praying about, what we've been looking to the scriptures about, what we've been talking through is we need to grow that base. We need to grow the base of leadership. And so um, we've we've approached a couple of guys. It's been a process. They've uh, agreed to it. It's going to be about a year process. Uh, in the scriptures, uh, found in Second Timothy, also found in Titus, are some different qualifications. So it's not just that we get to kind of make it up, which guys did Dave and Kel and Jim like the best? Um, you know, which one offered the signing bonus? You know what I mean? It wasn't, there's none of that. That's not how we do things in the church. It's very open. Part of the openness and part of the public nature of eldering is this, we have them on a year-long track uh, where, where they're going to be basically shadowing us and growing with us and being in our meetings and we'll be visiting you in your homes, we'll be coming to the hospital uh, beds with you and, and um, you know, and all the different stuff of life that, that eldering requires um, and they will be in a process of that. And part of that is to say this, church, publicly, you're going to see two faces up here And you guys have opportunity to speak into that. If you know of some things that you say, uh, I don't know if you know, but one of your guys, he's a really sleazy car salesman. And he sold me a complete lemon. I just thought you'd want to know. I want to know. I really do. Um, so part of this is just, you know what? In this year-long process, your leaders are visible in the church. We're not untouchable. We're not out behind a glass case, and no one gets to question things. That's the way we've been taught in the scriptures. It's laid out for us in the scriptures. So Chuck Adam, if you'd come on up uh, right now. And Garia, why don't you come on up? Um, uh, Kel, would you come up too? Uh, you already know Kel, um, but uh, come on up, you guys. Um, I want to just, in case you don't know who they are, this is this is Chuck Adam, and this is Gria Pitagoa Aaron. And if you want to, you can just call him Gria P.A. That's what we do. Um, and uh, and I wanted to bring them up. I want to have Kel pray for them uh, in, in just a second. But please do be in prayer. One of the things we've been so excited about is these are two guys that have been functioning in the role of eldering for quite some time now. And we've watched their ministry. We've watched them be faithful in small areas, and be ever-growing and increasing in areas as they've been giving uh, responsibility, and they've been really proving themselves. So one of the things about being in any kind of spiritual leadership is that you're under attack uh, and and you're you're on notice. Uh, So just be in prayer for them. So the church is to be so much more than just a school or a learning center, but certainly not less. So we've already talked about the idea that the church is to be a family and that the, and, the, and that the church is to be a body and all these other metaphors that the Bible gives. But it also is to be a school, a, a learning center. And growing in knowledge of God is both a gift from God and a joyous pers- pursuit on the part of every believer. Now what I want you to do for a second is this. I want to shift gears a tiny bit because... Um, again, what I understand is that as we talk about knowledge, there are just some of you that are that are thinking about it in one way and some, some of you are thinking about it in a in a different kind of a way. And to, to help us kind of um, maybe change the framework a little bit from, you know, are we talking about school or on the field knowledge or life wisdom or, you know, street know-how or what are we talking about? Let me just put it this way. Think about knowledge at a resort and learning at a resort versus knowledge and learning during a war, Okay, Now, think about this. At a resort, uh, this is not where I vacation, not even close. But someday, I might vacation at this spot here on the left. Um, Not on the right. Uh, At a resort, you might take a snorkeling class. You might tour a pineapple factory. Or you might enjoy like pool Pilates or something, right? So you're growing in knowledge. You're taking a class. um, And you're kind of perusing the little list of what they might have to offer. Think about during a war. At war, you learn strategy and focus and discipline and how to use and care for your weapon and what your role is and how to fulfill it and how to work on a team and who you report to and on and on and on it might go. Just think about the difference between knowledge at a resort and knowledge at, at, at war. One is urgent and vital, the other is optional. Take it or leave it. Kind of fill it out over some nice breakfast and a Mai Tai or something. Here's the question. What kind of learning, what kind of knowledge is talked about in the Bible? Is it resort kind of knowledge or is it actually warfare kind of knowledge? If you're new to this, it's the latter. It's warfare. It's urgent. It's vital. It's not optional. It's not kind of poke along and where where are you going to go this afternoon? I'm doing underwater basket weaving. How about you? I'm going, you know, parasailing. We're all going to learn stuff. Sometimes, and I know I've been guilty of promoting this and I apologize and I repent of it. Sometimes in the church, we can treat the knowledge and the growth that we have and the training that we must get much more like a resort than to even understand that we're at war and that it's urgent and not optional. Look down at verse 15 of 2 Peter 1, if you're still there. In 2 Peter 1.15, Peter says this, And I will make every effort. Doesn't that sound important? Doesn't that sound really urgent? I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these Things, band, I want you to come on up right now. Sometimes songs teach important lessons. And throughout the ages, people have sung songs when they didn't have screens. They didn't each have their own you know, smartphone or Bible where they could look at it. So they would sing songs while they're in the field and sing songs while they traveled and sing songs at home. At, at home. And it taught important truths. Some of the best hymns that we have are just, are just teaching tools. They're just teaching a set to music. We're about to just sing a song for you, and and this song teaches us an important truth about the nature of church, and it asks a couple of really important questions. As we sing the song, I want you to focus on the questions being asked within this song. Listen for them. The persecution that's talked about in this song is real. Jesus has always been violently opposed. And so part of what this raises is, what happens when this comes to our shores? What happens when this comes into our life? And don't think that this, is, that this is hypothetical and out there. It's real and it's current. All right, we catch the questions? There they are in front of us in song. Kind of reframes the idea of knowledge, kind of reframes even what we're doing in church and, and what we should be about as believers in the church what would you know if your bible went away what if they took all your highlighters and took them away would you you know where to go for, for things you need how would you grow what will you do was the last one because this is a current reality for so many brothers and sisters, it begs this question, which we won't get into so much this morning, but it begs this question. What is our part? Why is God allowing us right now to freely sing about this kind of thing? Why is God right now freely allowing us to meet not only during the day? We could meet all day if we wanted to. We could meet every day. We could meet out in the public if we wanted to. What is our part when so many brothers and sisters are being attacked, put in prison, stole, uh, having their children taken, having their jobs taken? having their life taken for naming the name of Christ. What is our role? What are we to be about? Second Peter one ten to fifteen. Look at, look at verse ten with me. It says this. It says therefore brothers be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure for if you practice these you will never fall for in this way there will be richly there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ therefore i intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have you ever wonder why you're going to church you're like i already know this stuff I've already heard this before. I bet Dave's going to talk about the gospel. I bet someone's going to mention the risen Jesus. I already know that. You know what? We need to be reminded of it, don't we? When we're punishing our loved ones for the sin that they've caused against us, you know what we're doing? We're we're not proclaiming the gospel. We're denying the gospel in that moment. Instead of saying, Jesus, we trust that all punishment for all sin is on your shoulders, once for all time, including my own, Here's what we're saying. We're taking that back and we're saying, except for my spouse, I need to exert wrath on them. When we understand and we're reminded, not only on a Sunday morning, but through a song, through a devotional, through a word, through a text, that Jesus has forgiven us. And so we ought to go and forgive others? It's a good reminder, isn't it? It's a good thing to know, even though we know it, even though we're established in it. Man, it's good to be reminded of these things. That's what that's talking about. And he says, I intend always, I'm not going to shut up about this. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Evidently, God gave Peter a revelation that he wasn't going to be around much longer. Isn't there even teaching in what he just said? Hey, this body, it's a tent. You know what you do with a tent? You go camping with it. It's not your home. It's not permanent. So don't get so hyper-focused on the body and the food and the needs we have. It's a tent. Time is short. And then verse 15, I'll say it again. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time to recall these things. Put a different framework on our learning. All right, let me give you something hopefully really practical as we leave. How are we to grow in this knowledge? The church organizes some things. Here's what the church organizes. Sunday morning worship services. This is a really important part of what we're doing. Very few times throughout your week do you sit under authoritative biblical teaching. Hopefully that's what's going on every week. That's what I pray is going on every week. I don't want to, I don't want to give you the authority of my word and what I think on things. I really do want to give you the authority of the scriptures. And I work hard to, to study the scriptures. And a lot of people do a lot of work around here to free me up to do that. That's an important part of a church. So Sunday mornings are important. We also organize community groups. We're involved in the life of your leaders to ensure that they are who they say they are, to make sure that they're getting the training that that they need, the encouragement and the support, the reminding, the establishing in truth that they need as you meet with them in, in, in their homes. And our community group leaders function as under shepherds, people who are involved in the people that are in their group. That's what they're doing, servant leadership. We also organize... Um, additional trainings. Some of you have been coming to the Compelled training. It's been awesome to see you out there on Wednesday nights. We're entering into week six of six weeks. So we've already completed five, and, and many of you have been receiving great training from our friend Tim in partnership with some other churches. Those are additional trainings that we need to stoke the fire, to remind us, oh, yeah, it's not that scary to, to get into a conversation with this person. Oh, yeah, that is kind of a flimsy argument once you hold it up to the truth. Oh, yeah, I need to kind of grow in that. Oh, yeah, I need to grow in my care for people who are around me. So that's what that's been about. Some of you have missed the compelled training, and it's been frustrating for you. I know, because I've talked to you. You say, man, I couldn't block out six weeks on Wednesday nights to come do that. Let me offer this to you. We are hosting on February 23rd. It's in a couple of weeks. Through some friends of ours at uh, an organization called Evangelism Explosion. They're going to come and host a one-day training uh, time here in this building. From 9 to about 3 o'clock, it costs a little bit of money. All the details will be on our website this week. But that's going to be going on. That's a one-day shot, pushing on and training and and raising up some of the same themes that we've been talking about with our compelled training. So some of you that have missed that, man, I'd strongly encourage you to come. Uh, Lunch is going to be included in the cost. It's going to be a Saturday to kind of block out and come and get some additional training going on. You know what we're doing with this? Here's what the church is trying to do. We're trying to bring in the giant backhoe, which my son Eli, two years old, has to point out everywhere we go. Any tractor whatsoever is a backhoe right now. But we are as a church coming, and we're just trying to help you dig. We're saying, man, let us take some big scoops out for you of your riverbed. Let us kind of give you a, a, a push on this. This is some great training, guys that's coming to our building, and that's right down the road from us. So outside of what the church might organize and what we might gather together to say, hey, let's push really big in this area, how about individually? How about as a family? How about as a couple? Let me give you a few things that you can jot down. Number one is this. Open up the book. Feast on the word of God. Joshua 1.8 says this, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. How are you careful to do everything written in it if you don't open it? Jesus said part of our call is to make disciples and what? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded them. How do you know what Jesus commands them if you don't open the book? I'll tell you what a lot of people do. They say, well, I'm sure Dave's put a lot of thought into this. It's probably whatever he says. There's a really cool guy on the radio, and and he seems like he knows what he's... He certainly knows more than me. I think it's probably what he said. I've got this great author, and he quotes some scriptures. I think he's got it. Man, open up the book. That's how you know. Get engaged in discipleship making, and guess what? It turns you back to the book. Because you go, man, they're asking me questions I haven't revisited in a long time, or I don't know the first thing about. God, give me answers. It's in the book. Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Psalm 143, 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Pondering, meditating, thinking. Guess what? It requires effort. That's really hard. It really is. It's challenging. Thinks carving some time out to say, man, I need to give some time when I'm mentally fresh. God, I want to ponder these things. I'm in a crisis. I'm in a crossroads. Don't throw up a flimsy coin prayer. You know, set some time aside. Do the work of it to pursue the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, And spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your heart. You know what that means? The teaching doesn't come from one guy to a bunch of people. You're teaching one another. As we sing songs, I hope we're teaching you good theology in our songs. As we're gathering together and talking, we're discussing things with with one another. One is firmly established in this part of the truth. The other one doesn't have the first clue about it. We see pictures in the scripture where one guy's up here talking. He's like, he's preaching. He's super worked up. I imagine he's pretty charismatic and good looking. And people are like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And there's two dear saints in the building, and they say this. Yeah, but his theology is kind of jacked up. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So they pull him aside, and in love, they show him the more correct way from the Scripture. I need that. You're like, yeah, but you have gray hair. I know, but to some people, I'm still young. Fifteen-year-old in the back. You know what? We just need that for one another, don't we? We need to be teaching one another. We need to be walking with one another and just being there in conversation with one another. We need to know each other well enough when the other person's blowing smoke that we can spot that. Say, brother, sister, I, I love you so much. I, I can't let that go. Man, can I just ask you this question? How, how are you really doing? I really, really want to know the answer, and I'm not going anywhere for like an hour. So just, just tell me. Man, that's how to grow a church. That's the word. Putting into practice, by the way, what you read in the Bible makes the reading worthwhile. Why? Because if you don't, what do you accumulate? Knowledge. Right? As you put it into practice, it actually causes you to come back and long for God that's in the Bible, not just for his advice. Sometimes sometimes we go to the Bible just looking for a quick word on what we need to do. I need an answer on this. Let me go to the Bible. So what we're doing is just looking for advice from God instead of really, really seeking Him. And part of putting into practice and walking in it um, changes that. All right, so open up the Word, but don't stop there. Open up your heart. Worship and prayer. Do you know that you can grow in knowledge just by showing up 52 weeks a year to this building? I'll tell you some of what you'll learn. God inhabits the praises of His people. I don't know all that that means, but I want to experience that. I want to be around that. I've been around people who knew a lot of things, and they came on a retreat. They came to a church service. For me, it happened on one boring Sunday night service that looked the same as all the rest to me. No one was playing Kumbaya 27 times. There was no campfire. There was no warm glow. It was just a kind of a boring Sunday night church service. And all of a sudden... In worship and prayer, my eyes were opened up. Knowledge came to me. I was awakened to spiritual reality. All my head knowledge became life experience. It's like my my knowledge, all the stuff I've been accumulating, got converted into reality. And truth, all of a sudden, was something that I experienced. This is where we meet with him in spirit and truth, where we experience God. Let me keep going. Open up your eyes. Psalm 19 says that the skies pour forth knowledge every single day and every single night. And there's no place on earth where this voice isn't heard. That's a picture of creation. Open up your eyes. Look up today. Look up tonight. Look down. I mean, really get down on the ground. If your daughter or son is showing you a bug, get down and look at the bug. I mean, you'll marvel at how those feet, like, how do they not all trip each other? There's a lot of legs moving there, and they're all kind of going in time. Here's a line of ants. They're all in order. How do they know what they're doing? You'll find some of this in the scripture, but, man, go to experiential learning. Lick your finger, stick it in some sand, pull it up, and look at that and just think, man, you know, what if every one of those represented one single galaxy? Whoo, man. Man. God cared enough to reveal himself to me so I don't have to guess about it. Man, creation, look all around. Open up your eyes and see it. Uh, tonight, this is how to work announcements into your sermon, by the way. Tonight, we have a guy coming to this place. You want to talk about specialized training. He's from the, um, I get this all the time, Creation Research Institute. Is that Right? Institute for, see, I knew I'd butcher it. I get the email every week. Um, these are really, really smart people, okay? We had a guy in here by the name of John S. I won't pronounce his last name. And some of you were in this building for that, and you were blown away. It's just, it's just that God gives some people with the ability to use all that space in our brain that most of us don't use, okay? And he was up here and just sharing some different things. We have a guy coming tonight for some specialized training. We've opened this up uh, Bay Area-wide, 7 o'clock, for one hour. And what he's going to be talking about is this. He's just going to be talking about seeing God in the power of creation. And I think he's going to specifically focus and kind of hone in on the body, the, the, the human body. There's going to be worship going on tonight in my heart and mind as I engage in this and hear from him. That specialized training, and that's this evening. Finally, open up your home. Living in community um, is is one of the sources that we get in growing in the knowledge of God and in the ways of God. What's more intimate than inviting someone into your home, right? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door to me, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And now we're to take that and and duplicate that with one another. In community, we work out this knowledge of God. We read all about forgiving one another. Esteeming one another is more important than the other person. Having patience with one another, right? And then what happens? You come back in from the backyard from your awesome quiet time, and what's happening? There's people around you, right? And in the mundaneness of just going, wow, it's really hard to actually flesh this out and live this out with real names and faces plugged into that. Gee, I'm on the contributing end of other people having to pray, Lord Jesus, help me bear with this brother. You're like, I'm right here and I heard that. You know, that's me causing that. That's community, and we grow in that. We had another uh, death in, in our church family this week. And having just walked through this with so many of you surrounding our family, pouring over our family, I've never experienced Um, the strength and support of prayer in a moment than when so many of you were praying during my dad's memorial service about a week ago. Profound to me. And so I've just walked through that, and I thank you, church family, for, for being a part of that and doing that. And now we get to come and do that for another family. Tom Bryson passed away. Some of you know Pete, who comes quite often with the Donatos here. We have another opportunity to come and surround that family in community and support that brother and the the, the people in that home in community. These four sources help guide us to know him more. Hang with me one more minute. Band, why don't you come on up. I want to close with this. In 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism was written. A catechism is, is, is this. It's basically a short question-and-answer kind of a thing where truth was passed along, where we couldn't afford to write out books and hand people truth. It was, here's a question, you memorize the answer, and in that we'll, we'll transfer knowledge, we'll grow in knowledge that way. It's the way that a lot of the great truths of the faith were passed on from the early church with some fishermen and some un- uneducated people. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question one is this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my Savior, Jesus Christ, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The follow-up question is this. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And they boiled it down to three things. What must you know to to really live in this and be comforted by it? Here's number one, how great my sin and misery are. Number two, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And number three, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. You know what it boils down to? Knowing Jesus, what he's done, and what he knows. The most terrifying words in all of Scripture are this. Away from me, I never, what? Knew you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that I am known by you. I thank you that in turn you've, you've extended knowledge and wisdom so that I could know you. God, I pray for those in this room who would question that. I pray for those, God, who don't know you, who would say, I know some about you, but I I don't know you like this guy's talking about, like people around me seem to be singing about. Father, I pray that you wouldn't let us leave this room with that unsettled feeling. I pray, God, that we wouldn't run from the exposure of our sin and our guilt and our misery before a holy God, but rather that we would be awake to it That we would seek out what is the response to it? What is the provision made for it? And we thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross, for taking on our guilt, and in exchange, giving us your righteousness, free of charge. It's what we sing about, it's what we celebrate, it's what we've devoted our lives to communicate. And God, thank you for brothers and sisters today, who in deep persecution are holding on to the faith. God, would you raise up men and women, old and young, in this building, in churches around this area, that would go to them, would pray for them, that would support them, not just with money, but with their presence. God, to go and walk with them in this. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us and awaken us in a fresh way this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.